Yes, trust me, it's better to be with them than in here. You're making the right decision. Okay, we're recording. So here we go. August 1st, 2010. Lecture discussion number nine. Let me say that again for all the people on the Internet. This is number nine on the Book of Romans. For those of you who are wandered in here without being properly warned, there have been eight lectures prior to this one, and they build one upon the other. And I always do the best I can to kind of back up and gather people that I know may have missed the first group. And so understand that a little bit. And I don't but don't worry, I will find you. And I will make sure that you get on the bus with the rest of them who are pretending that they were here for the last seven or eight lectures. But really, really, they've missed them all, too. It's summertime. Come on. OK, specifically where we are today is Romans 225 through 29. For those of you keeping score at home or on the Internet, because Romans 225, 29 is about what? What's it about? You yell it all out. That's right. You came. You visited today. And the day is circumcision. That's where we are. We are just because it's in order. Romans 22, 25 through 25 is without is about circumcision. And it's without dispute the most visitor unfriendly topic subject available for any pastor. Maybe tithing, maybe some condemnation of sin thing. Um, maybe someday I'll poll and find out what's worse. For everyone, but most likely circumcision would at least be in the top two. So here we are at beautiful downtown Cliffside Community Chapel, and I immediately would be drawn to circumcision. I wouldn't want to skip it. I think it's extraordinary, and I hope that I can convince you that it is extraordinary and that you will never again be bored with the topic of circumcision. In fact, you'll run out and try to find all your friends and you'll want to talk to them about circumcision. That's my hope for you. I'm going to do the best I can. And I'm serious about that. I really do wish everybody, when they see cliffside people come, they go, oh, my goodness, here comes somebody who wants to talk to me about circumcision. That would be great. That would be tremendously successful. Okay. Uh, but, again, I'm going in order. Romans 1, Romans 2, four or five months from now, Romans 3. So, Anyway, circumcision is a very difficult, very complex ordinance chosen by God, given by God to the Jews as the sign of the covenant of Abraham. So this is an Abrahamic covenant. Never, ever Abraham, Abra, got an H in there, Hamic covenant. Never never separate circumcision from the Abrahamic covenant. It's the sign, therefore, given to the covenant that is about promise and about grace. And that's why it fits in so well in Romans. That's why Paul devotes so much time to circumcision, because he understands that it is the sign of the Abrahamic covenant. The Abrahamic covenant is the covenant of promise and grace, the son of promise and salvation by grace. And that is the purpose that makes perfect sense, because that is uh, the purpose of the book of Romans. See, the, as you know, if you've been here the last four or five weeks, the book of Romans is about promise and grace. It is about the great 
the, uh, verse from Habakkuk 2.4. That's the thesis of Romans. And Paul takes Habakkuk 2.4 and he makes it the thesis of his book of Romans or his letter to the Romans. The just shall live by faith. That's Habakkuk, as you know. And he quotes that, Paul does, in Romans 1.17. And the whole book of Romans is about the just shall live by faith, which is a grace-based subject, which is a promise-based subject, which is why circumcision is therefore mentioned by Paul. Does that make sense? That's what we're doing. Because the just shall live by faith, it can be said this way. The justified, or the pardoned, or the cleansed, shall have eternal life by belief. Or by grace, or by faith. Salvation by grace alone is that statement. Belief in the name of Jesus Christ alone. If that's true, and that is true, and that is the sign, that is the purpose of the Abrahamic covenant, if that's true and it is true, then salvation is not, salvation is not, never, cannot be, won't be, ever earned. And if it can't be earned, if salvation cannot be earned, then how can we get salvation? It must be given. And that's how it all fits together. Circumcision is the sign of the Abrahamic covenant of grace. Salvation inherited, if you will, eternal life that has been promised by God. So, there you go. Sermon's kind of over. I'm already to page two. I've only got 14 more pages. But I summed it up right there. So absolutely circumcision has got to be any in any discussion of salvation by grace alone through faith, belief in the name of and the blood of sacrifice of Jesus Christ alone. And I get asked a lot. How is it that circumcision is a sign? Because is circumcision unique to the Jews? No. Who else did circumcision? At the time that God gave the sign, many, many cultures did circumcision. Why did God choose circumcision? I get that a lot. I get a similar uh, question with respect to the Mosaic Covenant as well. They want to know how is it that the Sabbath is the sign, is a sign. That's to them Saturday. How is it that Saturday is a sign? Well, it's not really Saturday, is it? Because that's the Roman word with respect to the uh, God Saturn. But how is it that the sixth day or the seventh day, if you're a Jew, the sixth day, if you're a Gentile, seventh day, perhaps, if you're a Gentile as well, it's, it goes all over the place nowadays. It's hard to get uh, anybody to, degree, uh, to agree with where it all fits. But how is it that Saturday is the sign of the Mosaic Covenant or the seventh day? How is it that the day of rest is a sign from God? How does that fit together? See, because the Noadic Covenant also has a sign. What's the Noadic Covenant sign? It's the rainbow. Now, everybody loves that sign. There's a big sign. We can all see it. It's up in the air. Everything's working out great. There's my sign. I'm happy. Circumcision doesn't seem to be a sign to people, nor does the Sabbath. The Noadic Covenant has the rainbow. What is a rainbow, scientifically? What is it? It's colors in the sky. How did we get colors in the sky? Yeah, it's, it's light. It's, it's colors in the sky revealed by light. Actually, it's light diffused or light broken into colors because it's passing through water. So God calls that a sign. And by the way, two things that God calls himself as well is light and living water. So I have colors revealed 
in light when it goes through water. The rainbow is the result of light crashing into water. God declares this phenomenon to be the sign that he would not curse the ground anymore. Night and day would continue, that meat could be eaten now. Uh, but drawing out the blood, the capital punishment is established at this point, and that the earth would not be destroyed by flood anymore. W- light crashing into water and showing you colors is the sign of that. And that's a pretty spectacular thing to consider. Color from light passing through water. That's his sign. That's a very complex thing. He could have made anything a sign. He picks light smashing into water, showing color. He puts it in the air. So you can consider that for a while while I go on with the sermon. This is that place in the sermon where you do the puzzle on the back and you go into deep thought. Some call it sleep. We like to call it deep thought here. Sleep works, though. I mean, I'm, I'm trying to provide us why, again, we do not eat the buffet before the sermon. Because I don't want everybody in deep thought. One or two members of my family, I hope, listen for at least 30 minutes. But obviously, light passing through water, crashing into water, water and light mixing together. And the sign of that is revealed color. That is a complex sign. What's the sign of the Davidic covenant? You have Noadic, Abrahamic, Mosaic, Davidic. How many covenants do you have? Eight. How many of them have signs? This is really, really a smart audience. I'm very impressed. Very few people know that there are eight covenants and that four of them have signs. The sign of the Noadic Covenant, rainbow. Sign of the Abrahamic Covenant, circumcision. Sign of the Mosaic Covenant, Sabbath. Sign of the Davidic Covenant is what? We just did this. Yes, very good. Lady with the trees comes through. Very good. It is the birth of Christ. It is God adding humanity, being born of a, of a virgin, the holy thing of Luke one thirty five. That, by the way, if you've not been here before, is the appropriate translation. King James gets that right. Doesn't call it the holy one, as so many of our Bibles do now. But the, the King James says holy thing is perfectly said because we have no description for God being in the womb of a woman adding humanity other than to call it the holy thing. It really ties together if you were here for the um, final sermon with respect to the eighth mystery of the Antichrist or the man of sin, because he is called the evil thing. So we have the comparison of the holy thing and the evil thing side by side, as we would expect the truth and the counterfeit. But the holy thing is the sign of the Davidic covenant. And it's obviously also, also, just like circumcision, just like the Sabbath, just like water and light colliding, it is beyond our understanding. See, notice how I said that. When you run into the sign of the Sabbath or the sign of circumcision, to the shallow student of Scripture, they seem less significant. They're not less significant. They seem everyday, mundane even, which you must instinctively dismiss that kind of thinking. Such thinking, that's foolish thinking. Sorry, not really fake sorry. 
If you're thinking that the Sabbath or the circumcision is a sign, is an inferior sign, then you're in trouble. You started out badly. Smack yourself in the forehead. Do something hard. Dismiss that kind of thinking. Obviously, of eight covenants, four have signs. There, and these are very... If I said that I have eight covenants and four have signs... And there's four signs, obviously. What are you going to think those four signs are doing? Are they independent of each other? Of course they're not independent of each other. They must be what? They must be four pieces of what? They must be four pieces of a whole. They must have a relationship together. So right now you should be thinking to yourself, I have the holy thing. I have the colors uh, that are exposed when light collides with water. I have circumcision and I have the Sabbath. Those are four pieces. When I put them together, I must get something very, very valuable. They, the three are symbols of Christ's redemptive works. One is Christ himself. And they fit together. And they teach us of Christ. That's what his signs are designed to do. All his signs are the same thing. What are they? They're all Christ, somehow. All signs are Christ. Each sign has an individual piece as well and should be added to the other three and then placed into the context of the four covenants, which then should be combined with the other four covenants. All of that to learn what God has placed, or what I like to say he's hidden inside. So I got eight covenants, four have signs. The four signs comprise four pieces of a whole. And which sign do we have? Which piece do we have today? We have the most, an extremely exciting, I shouldn't say the most, a very exciting sign. We have circumcision. That means we get to go find out about circumcision. And circumcision is really cool because people die over circumcision. Wars are fought over circumcision. Plagues come over circumcision. Vengeance come. Seven are hanged over circumcision. It's an extraordinary thing. And you know what? Right off the bat that it is a symbol somehow of Christ. You've heard me say you can most of the time take the word circumcision and substitute Christ crucified in its place as you read the verse that has the word circumcision in it. And it will unlock it just by that alone. But know that it is a symbol of Christ. That's our piece today. And so that's what we're going to be doing. Now, how do we figure out what our piece means, circumcision? How do we do it? What do we do first? You have an assignment. Your assignment is... Go find out what circumcision is about. Where do you go? First thing you do is find out, yeah, where is circumcision first mentioned in the Bible? Find the first mention. When's the first time it comes up? And that's going to be an important time. Where's the first time it comes up? Genesis 17, Abrahamic covenant. Then it goes to Genesis 34, which is the Dinah incident, where I have mass murder using circumcision. Mass murder. One of the most evil acts in all of Scripture, using circumcision as a method to kill. And to, at least to, uh, to incapacitate and then to slaughter. Now, if circumcision is a symbol of Christ's crucifixion, is a symbol of Christ's blood, and I'm using it as a means to incapacitate and kill people, how happy do you think God is with me at this point? 
Not good. That's the Dinah incident. Then I go to Exodus 4, 24 through 26. As you know, that is uh, Moses and Zipporah, where Zipporah instantly circumcises her two sons, I believe, clearly over the age of 13, maybe as old as 30, much to their delight, with a sharp rock. How long do you think it took her to find a sharp rock? She didn't have time. What are the chances she got a sharp rock? Not good. But everybody knew we better be circumcised. They knew we better be circumcised now. And that's the famous verse where she calls Moses and a spectacular type of Christ in this particular place, a husband of blood. And then, of course, the last one or not the last one, the last two, they're together. Joshua nine, the treaty with the Gibeonites is all about circumcision. I got a bunch of guys that come in and fool the Jews into thinking that they already have or they've traveled a long distance and that they're not part of the promised land. So the Jews don't kill them when they invade and they get a treaty signed by Joshua. And I say this all the time. Said it last week, so this is what you get when you miss. You make everybody else listen to the same sermon again. How does that make you feel? How do I say Jesus? This is how I say Jesus. How do I say Joshua? This is how I say Joshua. How do I say Joseph? This is how I say Joseph. Okay? Some will have a slight difference in pronunciation, but they're all three derivatives of the same name. So that tells you all you need to know. When you're reading about Joshua, what should you be thinking? All the time you're reading the story of Joshua. Remember, I can't say this enough. I need to say it more, especially if I get a couple of people that haven't been here before and I see about a half a dozen of you find each other after the sermon. You should, if you do not open your Old Testament and find Jesus Christ on every single page, you have erred. First thing you do, the Christology, find Christ. He is on every single page. If you've never heard that before, and many of you haven't, start out with this book. Portraits of Christ in Genesis. We used to give them away. Do we have any more, dear? We should buy more. By a medical doctor, pediatrician named M.R. DeHaan. Don't confuse him with his son. Dr. DeHaan died in the early 60s. Did a radio program for years. All he would do on that radio program every time he did it. Largest uh, religious program of its day. Everyone in the 50s and the 40s gathered around the radio to listen to Dr. M.R. DeHaan find Christ on every single page of the Old Testament. So that's important that you do that. To miss the Christology, to miss Christ, is to miss the meaning. Okay, so we're going to take the Gibeonites and then the Second Samuel 21, where the avenging of the Gibeonites occurs because Saul kills the Gibeonites. Uh, King Saul did. And remember, we're studying a book written by a man also named Saul that killed Christians. So he has a relationship with King Saul and that both of them went after people that God said, don't do this. Saul killed Christian Jews. King Saul killed Gibeonite Christians. Okay. And by the way, as you might have heard me say last week, the Gibeonites that Saul killed are the descendants of the ones that Levi and Simeon kill in Genesis 
34. So we're going to collect all of those pieces, and we're going to place them side by side, and then what's going to come out of that that's very exciting is your fundamental understanding of why God chose circumcision as his sign. It'll be, it'll be evident. It'll come into focus. You'll understand why Paul mentions it so, so often, why it's so important, and then how it fits with light into water, the Sabbath rest, and the holy thing. And you'll have your four signs now, and off you go on your journey. One more very important item of great wisdom in your little backpack thingy. Because that's what we're supposed to do. He says it over and over again in Proverbs. Go get wisdom. If you don't have any wisdom, you're going to get smashed in this life. Get some. First thing the wise do is they gather wisdom, and then what do they do? They always pay attention to what they got in their backpack. If you got a light backpack, you're in trouble. You don't know it. So, what do we do? First mention, Genesis 17, where, where God explains circumcision very, very well. He makes it obvious. So here we go. 17.1, we've got to read 14 verses. And remember, this is God explaining circumcision. When Abram was 99 years old, what's the first thing you do when you read something like that? That's a time mark. He's telling you. He's telling you what time it is. In case you want to know, there's 34 minutes and 43 seconds, two seconds left in the sermon. Lecture, really. That's a time mark. I'm giving you a time mark. He tells you that Abraham's 99 years old. What do you do when you read that? What do you do? You go, why is he telling me 99? There's something really important about 99. I got to know why it's important. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am almighty God. Walk before me and be blameless. How can you walk before God and be blameless? How can you do it? Answer that as I go on. And I will make my covenant between me and you. Who's making the covenant? God is. How much is Abraham participating? Not much. Go to Genesis 15. He's actually slept through a lot of it. Reminds me of the typical cliffside parishioner right there. Not that I'm offended by it. I used to be offended. Now it's more like a badge of honor. Could somebody shut that door for me that's in the back and keep the dog out of the sermon? Is it your dog? Oh, she's a wonderful dog. Lucy? No, Lily. Really? Lily's great. Lily's trying to help me with the sermon, and I appreciate it. She's fine. We love dogs here. We just don't let them into the buffet anymore. You don't need to use it as an excuse to get out of here, but well done. Well done. Well done, nonetheless. <laughs> and I will, make my, I will make my covenant between me and you and will multiply you exceedingly. Then Abram fell on his face and God said or talked with him, saying, as for me, behold, my covenant is with you and you shall be a father of many nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be called Abraham, which essentially means father of many nations. How old is this guy? Ninety nine. What's the chances he's father of anything? 
Now we have to realize he dies at 175, so he's probably about in our age today. Me. Bummer for him. I'd say 65, maybe. He's got a long way to go, 55. He's a little past halfway. Halfway's 50. I'm hoping. See me later. So, it's kind of a joke. Your name shall be father of many nations. I can imagine Abraham wandering around telling all his friends, Hey, call me father of many nations now. I'm 99. Right, father of many nations. (laughs) I will make you exceedingly fruitful. Right. I will make nations of you, and kings shall come from you. And I will establish my covenant between me and you and your descendants after you and their generations for an everlasting covenant. In other words, this is the I am. He is the only one that is the I am. I am means that he is in the present. You and I are not in the present. We are in the past or in the future. We have no present. Figure out how long your present is if you think otherwise. But he is always in the present. That is why he's the only one with the name I am. He's the only one. My name is I was or I'm going to be. And I'm going to be I was. His name is I am. He's inside of time. I'm sorry. He is the outside of time. We are inside of time. And he now says he's the maker of time. He says it's going to be an everlasting covenant. So is it longer than time? It is. He's the only one that can say that, by the way. To be God to you and your descendants after you. Also, I give to you and your descendants after you the land in which you are a stranger, all the land of Canaan, as an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. So far, that sounds really good. And God said to Abraham, as for you, you shall keep my covenant. That's good news. How is it that Abraham's going to keep the covenant? What's he going to do? To keep the covenant. What's his job so far? You hear his job? So far it's an everlasting covenant and he's going to keep it. What's he going to do? What's his job? What's his role? What's his, what's his obligation? It's to receive it, isn't it? To not reject it. It is a everlasting covenant of promise and grace. This is my covenant, which you shall keep between me and you and your... How is it that he's going to keep it? Here's your eternal security doctrine right here. How is it you're going to keep this covenant? God declares you will keep it. That's good. You shall keep between me and you you and your descendants after you. Every male child among you shall be circumcised. This is very important. Why is this important? And you shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskins, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. He who is eight days old among you shall be circumcised. Every male child in your generations, he who is born in your house or bought with money from any foreigner who is not your descendants, he who is born in your house and he who is bought with your money must be circumcised, and my covenant shall be in your flesh for an everlasting covenant." And the uncircumcised male child who is not circumcised 
in the flesh of his foreskin, that person shall be cut off. He has broken my covenant. Cut off from his people. That's how you break the covenant. You don't get circumcised. So what does circumcision mean? Okay, first couple of things. Right off the bat, always, as I said, ask why. Every time you go through, ask why. Why 99? Why a multitude? Why wait until, why all these nations, all these kings? Why, why wait until Abraham is 99? He's circumcised at 99, says so. Genesis 17, 24. Abraham, 99 years old, goes out and gets circumcision for him and everybody in his household. God intends for Abraham to be a hundred years old at the birth of Isaac. Why? What do you do now? Why did he pick a hundred? He could have picked a hundred and five, could have picked eighty-two, he could have picked anything, but he picks a hundred. Why does he pick a hundred? When you walk through this stuff, ask those questions. Why ninety-nine? Why the birth of Isaac does Abraham have to be one hundred years old? Where else is there a hundred years old in the Bible? So you should start putting your hundreds together now, right? Collect all the hundreds, put them side by side. You can do that while I go on. Why does God change Abraham's name? Abram to Abraham, father of a multitude. Why is this many nations repeated? Who cares? Abraham going to see any of these multitudes? Very few of them. See a few. It's not exactly a multitude. Abraham would be long dead before any nations or kings come from him. Why would this matter to Abraham? Why does he want to know? Why does he consider it a good thing? Why does he go around and tell people, I am going to be the father of a multitude of many nations. I have a covenant with, with God. Cool. And as a fact, Israel has yet, has yet, never has, controlled all the land promised to them in the Abrahamic covenant. That is an unfulfilled promise. It's to be fulfilled in the millennium after the return of Christ. And then they get all that land. Right now, they don't have it. they got about half of it. Maybe. Not even that. Maybe a third. Go to Ezekiel. Find a map. But again, this is an everlasting covenant. It does not depend on Abraham. It is... Promised. It's a covenant of promise. See Genesis 15, Genesis 12, where we also have the covenant of Abraham. But here we have the sign. This is why we're reading this today is circumcision. God is doing the promising. He's the only one capable of promise keeping, by the way. That's why I have so much trouble with what may be a wonderful organization with a bad name. Human beings are not promise keepers. What are we? We're promise breakers. That should be your, no one would join, would they? Come to today's meeting on promise breaking, because that's what we are. We break promises. God is the one that keeps promises. He is the only. It's a, it's a meeting of one, him. He's the only member of the promise keepers. We puny humans can't do that anyway. I got off on that, and I should take soda and readjust. Why? Does God, this is the biggest why. Ask all the other whys. You can find them. I didn't give them all to you. Why? Because I got the bot and sell thing in there, right? Uh, foreigner stuff. Why does God choose circumcision as the sign of his promise keeping? 
What exactly is he doing? You tell me, what is he doing right now when we're reading this? What is he doing to Abraham? He's doing something that he always does. What's he doing? He's teaching. He's a teacher. He loves teaching. It's who he is. And what is he teaching about? Himself. So how is he teaching about himself? Jesus Christ always taught, always. When you see something that doesn't make sense to you in, the, in something that Christ does in the New Testament, it's probably because Jesus Christ is teaching somebody. Figure out who it is. Who is it all the time when you're reading it? Hey, you. If you can't find the student, it's you. Circumcision teaches something. God is establishing the meaning of circumcision. He has a meaning for it, and he's now giving it to Abraham. He's making a point. He's declaring a truth. He's teaching about what circumcision really means. And Abraham knows what it means. He got it. He got it immediately. He knows. That's why he went out and got everybody circumcised. Moses knew what it meant. Zipporah knew what it meant. Those two boys, that how old they were, I'm hoping they're 30. Just to make the story better, they knew what it meant. Do we know what it means? His covenant with Abraham is the promise of eternal life, the gift of life through ultimately Genesis 18, which is Isaac, who is a type of Christ. You know, we have what's, what I call seven miraculous births in Scripture, the last miraculous birth is uh, the holy thing, is, uh, is uh, the birth of Christ. Get God adding humanity. But Isaac is a miraculous birth. He fits in one of the miraculous births. Uh, births and we have a list of things that we, what we call cliffside book of lists. I don't know if we have any left, but ask Lori and she'll try to get you one. Um, it's, it's got every one of these kinds of things that you can compare in it. But Isaac is the type of the son of promise. So this covenant with Abraham is a promise of eternal life, the, the gift of life through the son of promise of whom Isaac portrays. So circumcision is the sign of the coming son of promise who gives through grace. Let me reemphasize that gives. That wasn't attempted a bad Southern accent, Southern Baptist preacher. I probably could do that. Who gave through grace. Wow, that shut off the overhead air evacuation system. Do that more often. Circumcision is the sign of the coming son of promise who gives through grace eternal inheritance. Or if you will, eternal life. And if you, eat, if you reject circumcision, if you don't want what circumcision symbolizes, then you are to be cut off because you have rejected the son of promise. See, that's how you break the everlasting covenant, right? Because that seems to make no sense. How do you break an everlasting covenant? If you find something that seems to make no sense, that means there's something really cool here for you to dig and find out. Don't say it makes no sense again. Always ask yourself, why don't I get it? 
Genesis 17, 12 through 13 said every male must be circumcised. The obvious question is, is why would any not be circumcised? God said everybody must be circumcised. I'll put it this way. Everybody must have what circumcision symbolizes. What does circumcision symbolize? The son of promise. Who is the son of promise? Everybody must have the son of promise. Everybody must have Jesus Christ. Or you will be what? Cut off. Why would anybody not do it? I, I do it all a different way because of the Hebrew betrothal ceremony. The groom comes, he puts the cup in front. It's a cup of blood. That's what uh, communion also typifies is the cup of blood. We take the blood of Christ, not the real blood of Christ. It's a symbol. Sorry about those who believe in tra- transubstantiation. I'm not really sorry. It's another fake sorry. But we take the symbol that is the blood of Christ and we put it inside of ourselves because we need blood, because we have bad blood. Why would anybody not drink the blood? Why would anybody perish? You got it. It's right there. Why wouldn't you look at the bronze serpent and then you're healed? Why wouldn't you do it? Why wouldn't you take what what is symbolized by circumcision, which is the son of promise? Who would make the decision to reject it? And who would make the decision to not allow their son to be circumcised? Name me somebody, name me one person who knows what this means and wouldn't allow her sons to be circumcised. Name me one person that would do that. And you would say, Zipporah, what is she thinking? What is she thinking? Why would she do that? You're free How many people refused, refuse, and have refused, and will refuse the sign of the Son of Promise, which is the sign of the covenant of eternal life? How many people will refuse that? Billions and billions and billions. Why? They don't want eternal life. They want what? Eternal death. Why would you want that? I want to sign up for eternal condemnation. Where, where, where? I want to be in that line. Oh, there's that line. Nobody's in that. Maybe three people. Billions of us are over here. We want eternal death. Why would we want this? What is the definition of eternal life? Because you get in line, right? You say, okay, I'm in the death line. Over there's the life line. I'm instinctively thinking I'd like to live. I'll go over there. What's the definition of life? When they hear the definition of life, they go, I don't want that. And they go over into the death line. What is the definition of life? Yeah, it is life reconciled to God through Christ. Eternal life is in the presence of God. People don't want that. And they reject that. What's the real question? Everybody must be circumcised. Then he says, the one that isn't circumcised, cut off. Circumcise everyone. Those who are not circumcised, cut off. What's the obvious question? How is it 
that anyone has the ability to not be circumcised. Why can I not, why can I choose not to be circumcised? That's an important question right there. Reminds me of that old joke, you know, I know you've heard it. Guy was arrested and he was told he had the right to remain silent, but he didn't have the ability. That is a key. Why do you have the ability to reject the sign of the Son of Promise? Okay, somehow this is all connected to Adam. Do you know why? Because why? Why is it connected to Adam? This is all a Genesis 3.15 reference. Why? How is it connected to Adam? Because it's male circumcision. There is no other kind of circumcision. There's mutilation and there's male circumcision. Male circumcision. The son of promise, Genesis 3.15, is not the seed of the man. It is the seed of the woman. That is a virgin birth reference. The man is cut out. The woman is named by Adam when he realizes how it's all going to work because Adam had an incredible intellect. Do not think he was foolish or in any way disoriented or silly or dumb. He's not. He's a brilliant, brilliant thinker, a deep, brilliant thinker who figured many, many things out that we can only imagine. As soon as he understands, and he does very quickly because of the intelligence that he has, as soon as he hears the seed of the woman, he immediately names Eve, I'm sorry, he immediately names the woman who was the first in transgression, the first to sin. He immediately names her the mother of all living. She should be the mother of all dead, but she's not. He calls her the mother of all living because he knows what living means. And he knows the son of promise will come through the woman without him. He understood the facts on the ground. That's Romans 5, 12 through 21. Don't have time to read it, but we're coming to it, aren't we? Through one man, it says there, Adam sinned. I'm sorry, through one man, Adam, sin entered the world, entered the world. Very important. I got to write world on the board for you. Okay? Through one man, sin entered the world. Who else sinned on that day? Matt, that day, by the way, I'm going to tell you there was a significant period of time between Adam's sin and Eve's sin. We can argue how much time, but I predict that it, it uh, follows the Passover pattern of the feast day of Passover. If sin entered the world through Adam, who else is there? Eve. Did she sin? She sinned first. And she's deceived. Adam not deceived. Adam not fooled by Satan. How smart is Adam? Very, very smart. He's not making a decision because he's fooled by anybody. The Bible specifically, 1 Timothy 2.14, said Adam never deceived. A willful act. It's different. And because of his willful act, the sin entered the world. What's the obvious question? How, what's the world? What's your definition of world? Pretty much everything. Eve also sinned. Because of her, sin entered what? Yes. Who said that? Who said her? When Eve sinned, sin entered Eve. When Adam is sinned, sin entered the whole world, all of creation. 
Now, we'll argue about the fall of Satan with regard to the, uh, to the astronomy that we have to get to eventually when we get to Romans 5. Can't get out of astronomy when you're talking about Adam. Or quantum mechanics. That's later. Eve sin, sin entered Eve. Adam sin, sin enters the world. Why? Through one woman's sin, Eve sin, sin entered Eve, just Eve. Adam sinned, never deceived, when he chose to join Eve in sin as the federal head of the world. Because he's the federal head of the world. Who's under his dominion? Everything is under his dominion. And as soon as he sins, everything is now filled with sin. And Adam clearly understood this. He understood it before he sinned. He understood it after he sinned. He understood it during his decision to sin. And sin enters the world. And proof of that, by the way, that he understood all of that is that he named her mother of the living. Now, because of his sin, all of humanity is corrupt and depraved, and no man can therefore do what? No man can produce the son of promise. The seed of man cannot be used to produce. The seed cannot originate the man of promise. No man can be the source of salvation now. Circumcision begins right here. The definition and why he said having circumcision be his sign begins with this fundamental truth. Man is unable to generate the promised son of salvation. Therefore, what? What's the problem now? Man cannot do what? He cannot save himself. It's impossible. There's no possibility he can save himself because sin entered the world. And now I have no uncontaminated, if you will, seed. God desires that everyone start with this understanding. That's how he begins. I'm going to give you this promise, this everlasting covenant of promise and grace and gift. You don't do anything for it's a gift to you. It has to be a gift to you. Salvation has to be a gift because you cannot generate any salvation for yourself because it takes a promised son. And you can't make one. You can't be involved in the process. It must be a holy thing. Man cannot save himself. God desires that everyone start here. Circumcision is evidence that you understand and that you accept and that you receive the truth that mankind is incapable of providing anything that leads to salvation, anything that leads to life. That's what you're doing with circumcision. Life cannot come from death. And you were all what? Dead. That's the law of biogenesis. Life only comes from life. And the only source of, of life left anywhere. Where can I find life? Got to have life because I need life to get life. Where can I go to the life place? Where do I buy life? I can't buy life. I don't got the money to buy life. Life costs too much. I got death. I can buy death. Can't get life. Where do I go to get life? There's only one source left of life. It's God himself. That's why Jesus Christ accepts humanity unto himself. He's making blood. 
and make him flesh, because we need flesh, we need blood. He's a physician. He's going to do a blood transfusion. Get rid of your blood, put his in. Get rid of your flesh, put his flesh in. That's communion, right? He's also got to be an acceptable sacrifice, so the penalty is paid. It's a legal matter in a, in a, in a medical procedure, all wrapped into one. So if you're a doctor, a mathematician, or a lawyer, this is all going to work for you. Anyway, Abraham and his entire household circumcised themselves and bore the physical reminder of this fundamental truth. Life must be given. It's grace. That's what it means. By this symbol, God impressed upon them the impure state of the world and their dependence on God to then give them eternal life. That's what he did. Circumcision. You can't save yourself. Life is in the blood. Leviticus 17:11. That's the Noahic covenant. Also, Genesis 9. I got to give you blood. Only God has life blood. We only have death blood. For anyone to think foolishly that death blood can somehow be converted into life blood without finding life blood first, that I can transform my own death blood into life blood, that's a ridiculous thinking. But yet that is what the entire world says, except for who? God. Every other religion says you can earn, work, do something to turn your death blood into life blood. God says, no, I got to give you blood. And you got to understand it. This is the beginning of understanding circumcision. What does circumcision mean? It means that you can't save yourself. That's where you start. It means that you have, you are contaminated. You are contaminated through Adam. You need another Adam. You need the promised federal head that has the real blood. Now, so everyone's got to understand the consequences and know the consequences of Adam's decision and the two steps, if you will, in Adam's decision, which means there's two trees. See, because he had two decisions, didn't he? First decision is to join Eve in sin, which he made knowingly and willingly not deceive. The second decision was to not go to the tree of life once he had made that decision. And God had to drive him out and protect him from doing that. Right. That is the beginning of understanding the sign that is circumcision. Monitors. Monitors. It makes no sense to anybody listening by Internet, which is why you should come here instead of just sit at home. Okay, next week I'm going to ask you, what is the sign of circumstances? Circumcision. What? Where do we start? Where do we start with the sign of circumcision? What do we do? Why are they circumcised? Man cannot do something. What can't he do? He can't save himself. He can produce no seed that will save him. And a seed, a promised son, must be born. That is why Eve, mother of living. Man, death blood. Let's rise and be dismissed. Thank you.